You know, we're just ending our series, Christmas. Christmas. You know, for the last month, it's been my goal to get us to see Christmas through the eyes of God. Had you ever really thought about that? I mean, with all the Christmases that many of us have lived, have you ever really thought about seeing Christmas? When God looks down, how does He see us? When He looks down at Christmas, how does He? What what caused Him to to do what He did and the way that He did it? Christmas. You know, I got to thinking about that, and as I think about this month, perhaps God looked down. And he saw his creation walking in darkness. And so he sent light. Or perhaps he saw his creation, that's you and me, just needy. So he sent a gift. (laughs) Maybe he saw us kind of a little too comfortable, needing to be awakened. And so he sent bells. To awaken in the angel and the shepherds to awaken us up. Perhaps he saw that we had become so visual. That's why we, in most churches today, invest in screens because we have become visual people. And he knew how visual we were. So, as we talked last week, he gave us trees, and he gave us that tree in the Garden of Eden. He gave us that tree on Mount Calvary, and he gave that tree in heaven that we found in Revelation 22, the, tri- the, the tree of recognition, the tree of redemption, the tree of revelation. You know, when I think about all those things, I, I am reminded what a great God we serve. That He looks down, that He sees us, that He knows what exactly we need. The truth is, is that I believe that today we have saved the best for last. Because if you look through all those things, uh, we look through the light and the, and the bells and the trees and the gifts. The last thing today, seeing Christmas through God's eyes, one four-letter word, hope. Hope. You see, I think God's, God looked down at Christmas at this time and he sent Jesus to give us hope, hope like we've never known before. If you will, go ahead and take your Bibles. You see the scripture on the screen, Matthew chapter 1. I want to kind of, today, the three words that run through my mind is it's context, content, and call. It's not going to be in your outline, so don't write it down. It's just what runs in my mind as we, as we hear today about this hope. So I want to set up the context of Matthew Chapter 1. We'll get there in a second. Matthew chapter 1. The last time the Jewish people had heard from heaven, had heard any word from God, was 400 years approximately earlier before Matthew 1. Now watch this. In your Bibles, when you turn from Malachi to Matthew, it's one page. But that one page represents 400 years of history. That God did not speak to his people. Yes, in the Old Testament there are over 300 promises that Jesus is coming. That the promised one is coming who will crush Satan's head. But the last word that the the Jewish people had heard from Malachi 
was talking about the terrible day of the Lord, the great day of the Lord, the coming day of the Lord, the judgment day of the Lord. And for these 400 years, these people had been praying to hear from heaven the positive word that the promised one was coming and not the negative word that the judgment day was on. And it's into that, it's into that scope, into that situation, into that context that God sends the baby Jesus as a picture of hope for us. If you found Matthew chapter 1, you can stand, if you'll stand with me, if you will and you can. We're going to read the verses that you see on the screen. Picking up at verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Ghost. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. Now, I'm just going to pause there to say, isn't this amazing? This is before we can know what the gender was before the baby was born. And yet the angel said, she'll give birth to a son. And you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated "God is with us." When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you today, and we thank you today for how you love us and how you watch over us. We thank you that. When you came to earth in baby form, that you came as a sign, a symbol, an offer of hope. I pray that everyone in this room today embraces the hope that you offer. And I pray if someone doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray that even today will be the day that they receive your offer of hope because they have received you. In a personal way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When the Apostle Paul wrote his preacher boys, now his preacher boys was Timothy and Titus. He wrote Timothy and he began his letter this way. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus 
our hope. Then when he wrote his next letter, which was to Titus, in chapter 2, he wrote this, while we wait for the appearing of the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Paul understood and he knew about the hope found in Jesus. He knew that Jesus came to give us hope, offer us hope, and restore hope to us. My question today is, do you know the hope that is found in Jesus? Because you see, Jesus is the one that offers you hope for time that's here and eternity that's there. Years ago, I'm about to date some of you. Danae already dated herself just a while ago, but uh, I'm going to date some of you. How many of you remember a commercial that's asked this question? How do you spell relief? And the way you spell relief is? R-O-L-A-I-D-S. That's Rolades. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. You think I'm just being silly. That, that commercial took such control of us that elementary school teachers had problems. When they would give a spelling test and their kids would be asked how to spell relief, they would spell it R-O-L-A-I-D-S. True story. Here's what I want to tell you. How do you spell relief today? I'm going to tell you. J-E-S-U-S. Now, kids do not go to school and spell relief, J-E-S-U-S. That would be incorrect academically, but it is right on spiritually. Because Jesus is the one who gives us hope. He came, He left heaven and came to earth to offer us hope. When God looked down from heaven and He was thinking about His creation, He saw that we needed hope. And He sent it. In full force. He sent it in Jesus. Now I'm just going to make this as practical as I can. And I keep thinking that I'll have a short message one day. I think it was Todd that told me the way to preach great messages was to use a good introduction and a good conclusion and put them really close together. That'd be a great message, all right? Just four things for us to see today. God sent hope in Jesus. It is hope that is practical. Hope that is practical. Now, we like practical things. But there is nothing more practical than than Jesus' hope here. I want you to think about it. Mary and Joseph were getting married. Then they needed some practical hope and help. Because before they were married... She was found to be with child. That was big stuff back then. I'm going to pause a second. This would be a good place for your preacher to get off on a tangent about the lack of morals today and how we view pregnancy out of wedlock today. But I want to say this to you. It's still as big stuff today in God's eyes as it was back then. I'm praying for our, our culture to return some semblance of morality. These guys were in trouble. There were big consequences for them, for them to be pregnant out of wedlock. They needed some practical hope. They needed some practical help. 
And God sent it through the voice of an angel. And he said, don't be afraid. Because that, what is going on in your life is divine. I wonder today, likely not a pregnancy out of wedlock, but I wonder today if there is something divine going on in your life, giving you hope. You see, because, because that's why Jesus came. I think this, I think that, and this is my opinion, I think the greatest practical thing God ever did for mankind was to send Jesus to us. And somebody would go, Why, how in the world is that practical? Okay. Now, I know I have to always tell you when I'm asking for participation. Does everybody know what participation is? That means you don't sit there like a bump on a log, okay? Let me, I want to see a raise of hand. How many in this room have actually been born? Okay, there's only a couple of hatchers in here, but... So you born, and you have lived. Watch this. And you have sinned. You have born, you have lived, you have sinned. In fact, I, I, and, and here's the thing. Let me just, just kind of go ahead and, and kind of land this plane. Is that, and the truth is, is that one day you'll die. Oh, Brother Jerry, you shouldn't say that as we're getting to a new year. Well, look, since the Garden of Eden, when they disobeyed God and they died in their spirit, and then ultimately they died, since that time, everyone, Brent, who has been born, except for two people, have died. Who knows who those two people were? Speak it up, Blair. Don't count to yourself. So she can't name but one of them. Enoch and Elijah. Enoch and Elijah. Everybody else has died. So watch this. I'm trying to get this as practical as I can. Watch this. So you've been born, you sinned, you lived, and you died. And one day when you die, you're going to face Jehovah God. You're going to face Jehovah God. And when you face Jehovah God, you're going to face Him with your sin. You know how practical that is? That means that Jesus came for something you know you're going through. If you try to face God without a, an advocate, you try to face God in your sin, you try to face God on your own, you're going to find yourself short. You're going to find yourself not living eternally forever. You're going to find yourself existing in torment forever without this advocate called Jesus. Here's what I'm telling you. Jesus is the most practical part of human life because he saves us from a place designed for uh, the devil and his demons and he's going to miss the place that God's designed for those who are redeemed. most practical thing in the world that God ever did for us was he sent Jesus to us. You see, we need extraordinary hope. We need extraordinary help because without it, we have no possibility of being right before God in heaven. Nothing more practical than this. We live. We sin. We die. We need Him. As your pastor, I, I travel here, there, and yon, and I see people, and I'm always amazed at how people respond to me as being a pastor. Men, you can be mad at me, it's okay. 
Men will avoid me because they're too tough to need what Jesus offers. They got too much on the ball to let him change their life. They have things that they have to take care of so they don't need. They need the practical stuff. I'm a hunter, so I can say this. Give me a gun. Give me a tent. Give me corn. Give me something, and I'll go hunt. But I don't want to talk about Jesus. Played ball in the past. Give me a basketball. Give me a baseball. Give me a football, and I'll go play because I got, this is important, but the practical part of Jesus is not important. And ladies, you think you go get off the hook? The ladies are so sentimental about this. That they have been so good and they've got it all figured out. So God, they don't need to let Jesus into their life because they don't. They just, man, we, we got it good, Brother Jerry. If, if those men, if they just get right, we'd be fine. Yeah, everybody knows I'm being a little silly. The truth is, we all need Jesus. We need Jesus to take us from where we are to where he wants us to be. We need Jesus to walk into our life. And save our soul. It's very practical. God said hope that first Christmas morning. Hope for an eternity. It's practical. But number two, he sent a hope that's personal. Personal. When you go back and read this story, and I could, if it would, if it would bless you, here's what I'm going to tell you. This message was personal to Joseph, to Mary, to Elizabeth. To the shepherds. In fact, it was so personal to Joseph that the angel called him by name. And here's what I'll say to you today. This message is so personal for us today that God calls you by name. Jesus died to save the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. But let me just tell you this. For God so loved Grady. That if Grady would come to him, Grady would be saved. God so loved Jude, that if Jude had come to him, Jude would be saved. God so loved Todd. Well, wait a minute. God so loved Todd, that if Todd would believe in him, he would be... You see, the truth is, there is salvation with your name on it. It's personal. Here's the thing. Your mother's... Faith is not going to get you into heaven. Your daddy's works are not going to get you into heaven. It's only going to be this personal with Jesus. It's personal. Remember those three words? In context, content, and call. It's personal in context because back in those days, people were looking and longing and seeking and wanting to hear a word from God about the future because everything was going upside down. Sadly, today, because things are so good in America, we just kind of give God our... We tip God with our time. We tip Jesus with our offering. We just tip Jesus. We don't commit. Back then, they were looking. They were longing. They were listening. That's the context. The content back then, when the angel came, he said, Look, Joseph, you give birth to, she's going to give birth to a son. Watch. You are to name him Jesus. Jehovah saves. And he will save his people 
from their sin. That's the hope that the world had been looking for. That's the hope that they needed. That's the hope that we need even today. He'll save you if you'll let him. Now, you have to meet him on his terms, not yours. I'm afraid too many have met him on our own terms. You know, Lord, I'll give you this if you'll do that. Lord, I'll give you this, but I'm hanging on to that. It doesn't work like that. It's all or nothing. You see, God, God's calling us. And here's what I want to tell you. The context is that we need him. The content is that he can save us, but the call is a very personal call. Every one of us must make our own decision. It's not whoever comes to the church the most. It's not whoever does the most work in the church. It's not who has the most good deeds. It's not who enjoys the fellowship the most. It's not the ones who work at the events that we have or the the sports things that go on. The Bible's clear. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord and in the words of Jesus and follows Jesus are those who will be saved. Jesus is calling everyone in this room that doesn't know him. He is calling you, but you must decide Yourself. There are men who think their wife's faith is going to get them into heaven. There are women who believe their husband's good work are going to get them into heaven. And the truth is, the hope that comes is personal because it's got your name on it. Because he's wooing you. He's calling you. He's touching you. He's convicting you. He's drawing you to himself. Have you ever made that decision for him? You do not have to answer it to anybody else. You don't even have to answer it to me, but you will do yourself justice if you answer it in your heart to him. Let me tell you what's on the line here. I was thinking about this this morning. Why is it? Don't don't charge this platform and beat me up. But as as I go places... For meals and I meet and I see people. I, I just tell you this: when I was in George County, I, I had a little place that I'd go to, to breakfast every morning. There were three guys, old dudes, older than me, stopping. Old dudes. They had meat for breakfast and and coffee, and they'd sit there and talk. And they found out I was a preacher. And they started talking about somebody who was their favorite preacher. And they said he'd run up and down the aisle and said he just and I go. And when they got through, they said, he could really preach. And I said, that's great, man. What did he say? Oh, I don't remember what he said. I just know he could preach. Do you understand the fallacy of that? Some people think preaching is opening the Bible, reading a scripture, and then fussing for 45 minutes. And I got to thinking about that this morning, and I thought, Why can't you do like some of them do? Here's the deal for me. What we do in this room is so important. I want to make sure that I have my hand on what God wants me to say and I don't just wing it. Because it's personal. Because it's practical. 
And because number three, it's permanent. Hope that is permanent. That's what Jesus offers us. You see, when we come to Jesus, we don't have to come to Jesus again and again and again and again and again. You come to Jesus and, and you're there. And the part of the story that jumps out at me, that how permanent this is, is where it says, and you're to give him the name, you're to call him Jesus, he'll save his people from their sin, and then it down quotes the prophet, and it says, and you'll call him, I love this, Emmanuel. That's why I love that chorus so much, and the ladies play it a lot, Emmanuel. God is with us. You see, God came to us in that manger in Bethlehem. And you can't unborn a baby. Does everybody know that? Once a baby is born, he's here. And you can't send God back to heaven to leave you alone because he's here. And when, when Christ comes into your heart and life, he didn't go back away someday, so you have to do that again. He is there forever. When he saves you, he saves you from the guttermost to the uttermost. And he holds on to you for eternity. You see, hope is practical because it's personal. And because it gives you hope for time and eternity, it's permanent. You don't have it today, you don't lose it tomorrow. You don't receive salvation many times, it's just one time. You see... I've already alluded to this. God loved the world so much. (laughs) God loved the world so much with his determined love that he gave his son that you can have abundant life here, eternal life there. Are you listening, teenagers? I never got this as a teenager. Abundant life here. That's a fancy Bible word for life to the fullest. I don't want to get saved. I got too much living to do. Really? You better, think, better look at some of the folks who try to do their living and see how messed up their lives are. When you, come to, when you come to our Lord through Jesus, your life will be fuller than it's ever been before. Abundant life, life to the fullest here, and eternal life there. It's not life that just happens for a little bit and then it goes away. It's life that lasts forever. I don't know that I've used this, but Francis Chan uses a great illustration. I think I've played it here. It's a rope illustration. And he talks about, he takes a rope and it stretches all across the stage. He said, this is your life. This is your life. And he had down here on this end. And, and this starts at birth and it goes all the way through eternity. And he's down on this end. He's got a little piece of tape about this, this big here. And he says... Most of it, he said, this little piece of tape is your existence on earth. And then you have all eternity. He said, and most of us are so concerned about what we do here, so we can get it right here, and we forget about that. Where's your focus today? The hope that God gives you is not just for time. In fact, in fact, it's, the, it's hope for eternity. I run all around hope, practical, personal, permanent. But I don't want you to miss this. Because this hope at Christmas is hope that is a person. 
And that person is none other than Jesus. If I have, if I've lost you to now, up till now, would you give me your attention just for the last few minutes? Here's what I'll say to you. This is not a religion. Jesus didn't come to give us religion. He didn't come to give us tradition. He didn't come to give us cute stories. He came to give us hope. He came to give us help. He came to give us life. And all of those come only with a relationship to God through Him. He died on the cross. That's Easter. Rose again because He was divine when He was born. He doesn't come into your heart to save you. He saves you and then he comes into your heart. He does his work and he comes there into your heart because he is the blessed hope. Without a friendship with him, without a friendship with God's own son, you have no hope for eternity. Back in the 80s, as you know, I was a music director. David Clydesdale put together a musical entitled Kingdom. And in that musical, one of the greatest Christmas duets I've ever heard, most powerful. Jane and John Sherberg wrote the words, and here's the chorus. He gave the greatest gift of all when he gave Jesus. He gave the greatest gift of love wrapped in his son. Here's the payoff. He brought us hope when there was nothing left to hope for. At that time, redemption's story had begun. But now the long-awaited promise, the gift the world had been waiting for, had come. Jesus. Only Jesus. Is the name of Jesus wonderful? Isn't it powerful? Because He's the reason that we're here. As we end this Christmas season, I ask you personally, do you know the hope of the world? Do you know and do you hold the hope of the world, Jesus, in your heart? One of my favorite worship courses, probably back from the 90s, it simply said, my only hope is you, Jesus. My only hope is you. From early in the morning to late at night, my only hope is you. The only way we get that hope is he becomes our friend. What kind of friend is he to you? This is a fair question, and I'm done. What kind of friend is he to you? Oh, he's my, what a friend we have in Jesus. I sing that. Got all kinds. I am a friend of God. I sing that. Oh, really? What, what kind of friend is he to you? Teenagers, let me pick on you. What kind of friend is he to you? 
I'm picking on you because you, I will communicate, this will communicate to you. The adults will probably pass it off. If Jesus was living on earth right now and was walking on earth and he had a smartphone, would you text him as a friend regularly? Would he be on your text list? You see, folks, that says a lot about who we are. Whether we have him as our hope in our lives. Jesus came. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus ascended. It's all about him. And it's all about your relationship to him. Do you have the hope that's only found in Jesus? I believe that's what God had in mind when he seen him as a, as a baby in a manger. That he could become the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lord of Glory, the Hope of Hopes, and the Savior of your life. Not someone that you just kind of peek in on once a week or once a month. But someone that radically changes you from the sinner to the saint that God wants you to be. Let's pray together.